One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I hope you are all really well and making your way through what is probably when this is released, the summer holidays. We are on the verge of them now. And yeah, <laughs> six whole weeks of summer holidays. If you do have kids, it's a lot. I have a guest with me today who I'm really excited to chat to. You know, I am incredibly passionate about sharing as many lived experience stories as possible. I'm going to be talking to Steve today, who's very kindly agreed to come on and share his experiences with us. So hi, Steve. Hi, Harriet. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And thanks for the podcast. It's been a really useful thing for me to listen to. And it's been almost like a little bit of a support group, if I'm honest. So first, I just want to start with saying thank you to you for the podcast. Thank you for that. I think there is so much power and I talk about it quite often on the podcast. I've had guests mention it, be they psychologists, uh, therapists, coaches, all giving the same message that community support and community healing is so powerful. And that's why I'm really grateful to people like yourself who are willing to come on and share their experience and talk about what they have been through and what's happened in their lives because we need to know that we're not alone out there and that's really important so can you tell me a little bit about your experience yeah yeah so I was estranged from my parents reasonably recently only a number of months ago but it's a thing that's been going on for a number of years so from childhood I I, the first thing is I kind of don't remember my childhood which is a bit of an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, And I I kind of put that down to maybe being in that people-pleasing space. So I'm a really, really overactive people-pleaser and that kind of fawn response and hypervigilance. I I almost just have no memory of of childhood through to maybe my teens, really. So so that's kind of the the first thing um, with this. And the things I do remember are, or maybe like little bits of sort of passive aggressiveness from my parents and, and maybe being unable to sort of say no to them. But I remember very, very little about that. And I do remember bits which were good. I and I, I mean, I, I maybe even feel a little bit of a fraud coming on here and talking about this because it maybe isn't quite as overtly narcissistic or maybe it, it's, it, it doesn't seem as quite as bad as some of the stories that that maybe you've experienced or some others who've been on the podcast have experienced but yeah and 
But what I wanted to kind of talk about was that enmeshed family system that I, I think I've been in. Again, I'm not a kind of trained professional or anything like that, so not diagnosing here. But what I experienced in, in childhood, yeah, was a, a very, very close bond between uh, my sister and my mother particularly. And then my father, um, I mean, my sister described him as a doormat. Mm. And he maybe found his place in the family system as to not to challenge at all in that system. And then I was um, maybe the invisible child, maybe the scapegoat at different times. And my role was definitely to, um, to be the joker, to bring a little bit of fun to that. And, and, and my sister had very much um, worked out that uh, my mother needed sort of uh, supply and would was very very happy for my sister to act the victim and that kind of then really sort of carried on throughout um, throughout sort of teen years and, and early 20s and then sort of resulted in me going no contact with my sister which is was was really interesting choice and and something I, I think I maybe didn't quite give the thought to that I that I should have at the time, and and maybe low contact is an op, is, is is a different option there. So that that was kind of a real um, a real point. And uh, so I've got one of the letters, a letter that my mother sent me here, and uh, and it, it your rejection of my sister felt like a rejection of us all was something that mm. she wrote. And I think that just brought to me that um, that enmeshed family system, that closeness. Um, so, and then my mother and my father, kind of, particularly my mother, really slowly withdrew from me from that point. There was no sort of communication with with me about that. No trying to bring that together. There was deception and they, they kind of talked to my sister over a number of years and then sort of slowly withdrew and there's a number of of, of, of like thing examples I could give you there of they got a new kitchen and because we had dogs well you can't come over you can't bring the dogs over putting barriers between it spending huge amounts of time doing my sister's kind of childcare. my sister lives in London and they live in, in Cumbria so, I mean, a real distance, not like attending my, my, my son's birthday to prioritise the six weeks of childcare that you, that you kind of just talked about. So, yeah, it, 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 it feels like it's, it's maybe not as overt. There's, there's a lot of kind of covert stuff that went on there, more kind of emotional abuse. And that... Um, yeah, that led to like a, 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 a kind of a slow decline in the relationship between me and uh, certainly my mother uh, and, and an inability on, on her part to maybe talk about that and to surface that and to, to get what she maybe wanted. Uh, and, and my kind of, I think I'd also seen my mother vehemently defend my sister um, to 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 the wider family, uh, and 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 seeing that, seeing those almost those attacks, and and I knew what was going to happen, so I knew I couldn't broach this, and I couldn't bring up that my sister wouldn't be the victim here, 
because um, she, she said, kind of grooves that victim sort of behavior in so much that if I tried to in any way kind of say, well, look, this is this is what's happened here. This is the conversation. Then that that absolutely wouldn't be listened to. And yeah, it was Christmas last year. Um, there's been a pattern of my my mother trying to get my children to talk to my sister and to talk to uh, her children as well, which which. Um, and, and then at times we've managed to avoid that because we absolutely don't want that. But we, we still had that relationship with with my parents and occasionally the children would go over there and we'd find that they were trying to meet up or that they were spending lots of time on FaceTime. And that was really quite sort of deceptive behind our backs because we, we didn't want to foster that relationship and big kind of family events. I think my mother kind of really wanted to present that image of a very good, very strong family. And those were key kind of flashpoints as well. And um, if we were unable to come to those, uh, that, that was a real problem. And that's what happened at Christmas. We want, she wanted us to go with uh, the wider family, which we were happy to. Um, our, like her, my mother's sister and, and all of their family. But, um, my my sister had to stay at my mother and father's house. Um, we couldn't stay over there. Like so, there was this just kind of golden child, and and that that's a pattern that that played out a number of times before. Like my sister has another place where she could stay in Cumbria, but we we didn't um, for for a couple of reasons. And there was something that that there was some compromises, some things that that could have happened there. But again, my mother was unwilling to make those compromises. And then when we said, look, we can't do this because of because of these reasons, um, storm off and then ignore us again for a number of months. Mm. And this is this pattern that's been happening over probably 10, 15 years, Harriet. And, and what I've uh, what I would usually do is I would keep FaceTiming and my dad would answer the FaceTime calls. And then eventually, after some point, it would not be discussed why she was upset or annoyed. The scapegoating would just stop and slowly she would start to reconnect. But this time I just thought, well, what what's what's in this? Why am I doing this? And so I I was quite happy for for them to because they've been kind of sort of going no contact or low contact with us and I was quite happy for that to happen and yeah in previous uh, in previous times people have kind of counseled me to remain in touch but this time I just 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 felt well, why are we doing this and there was some repeating patterns there with my children so I've got a, a son and a daughter my son's seven and my daughter's nine my son's got a few kind of sensory things she can be a little bit challenging but I, I noticed some some patterns which I imagine were reflected in my childhood because I, I don't honestly remember so I, I don't know that I should say that but for example we went uh, to an attraction with my uh, like a yeah an, an attraction in the in the northeast with my uh, with my parents a while back and and they had sort of gone to a different part of it. And, and me and my wife were, were sat. And so we met back up with my parents 
and my daughter was very much with my parents playing really happy and my son was a, a number of meters away from them on his own crying sat down and uh, I, I wonder whether this was this was kind of some of the pattern that that I that I went through when I was a child and, and maybe my, my sister as, as golden child and maybe me as scapegoat. And I, I noticed a number of things happening like that. And that was a real key thing for me as well in terms of going no contact was, was protecting my, my children and my, my son. There was, yeah, a number of sort of instances. And he was, he was actually, when we told my, my children about it, um, he was actually reasonably happy. He had almost no reaction. He'd said he didn't want to go over there at one point earlier this year. So he he wasn't enjoying that and that relationship and he wasn't getting anything out of it. But my sister, uh, my sister, my daughter was getting absolutely loads from it, loads of attention. And it, you can just see the pattern repeating itself there. So that's been a key driver for me and also I suppose another driver and I think that I think I'd quite like to talk about and share is um, I suffered a head injury about a year and a half ago now pretty serious head injury and had something called and still have something called post-concussion syndrome so that's a concussion that lasts for months or years and I'm really improving from that now but that period of of illness and of ha being unable to kind of spend time with people and, and being really ill has taught me absolutely loads it's um it's allowed me to relax it's allowed me to be in the moment it's allowed me to yeah just just really being myself more it's allowed me to dissolve my ego and uh not not chase things, not cling to things maybe as much. And that's been incredible grace for me in, in healing from this. And um, yeah, and, uh, and, and allowing me to see just a bit of different perspective on, on the estrangement. And yeah, so like that in itself, I'm, I'm not sure whether I, would have, whether I would have gone no contact without that. Um, yeah, I mean, rambling here, but the, the term estrangement, <laughs> yeah. the term estrangement, I don't really like it. Okay. There's something about it that, that feels disempowering. I mean, there's the word strange in there as well. And I know it, it describes, it's the, it's the term for it, but I, I, there's something in me that, that doesn't like that term estrangement. It doesn't feel like it describes the empowering nature of going no contract, no contact, taking that control and protecting yourself, putting up those boundaries, estrangement. I mean, that's maybe just me, but that that word doesn't feel to describe that. And so I brought this up with my therapist. Um, so I've been through a little bit of therapy and actually just kind of stopped recently. Um, so I was. At, and I brought this up with my therapist and she said, well, no, that, descri that describes it, though, doesn't it? That describes it. And that was an interesting kind of break with rapport with my therapist. Um, and then there's been a couple of other things where I've kind of felt my therapist maybe was pushing an agenda as well. So I think 
this is a point I just wanted to discuss is that like I know therapists are kind of hard to find but there's a bit of a chemistry thing there with with therapists you, you've got to have that rapport with them and, and I've kind of stopped with my therapist after a number of sessions now because I didn't feel like she really understood what it is that that, that I was kind of going through and, and was 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 on my agenda and with me by my side um she, for example she kind of re she talked recently about the bristol um grandparents charity which is a charity for um grandparents who have uh, no contact with their grandchildren mm. well um so kind of i i, I received a, a text from my mother that, that said please show um my children the uh, this picture of some flowers that we've grown so after this kind of this complete kind of breakup and attack uh, towards me again the same pattern of just ignore it and move on mm. all of that stuff that, that we've we've kind of discussed just ignore it and move on and and my therapist again said on the surface that's a really sweet and nice gesture on the surface it might be but to me that was that was that was the pattern repeating itself yeah. and it's it it seems trying to get into into my in in and, and and get access to my children which which feels like quite an emotional point for me there mm. particularly around the trying to um get that relationship with my sister so my mother trying to facilitate that relationship with my sister and her children and uh, behind our back that feels quite sort of manipulative so uh, 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 yeah yeah that is really manipulative and it is a huge boundary that's been crossed there i mean but there's so much in what you've just said for a start you've it's quite common for people who have been through these experiences to feel that self-doubt of almost like well it wasn't that bad maybe it wasn't as you said at the beginning maybe it wasn't as um difficult or as challenging as some of the other experiences that you've had discussed on the podcast and we do we play it down to ourselves and it what you're describing here sounds exactly textbook scapegoat child and you mentioned that sometimes you were the invisible child sometimes you were the scapegoat and we know that within these narcissistic family dynamics or toxic family dynamics the children do flip between the roles which is often why the golden child holds so tightly to that role and I do think that we do I'm trying to think how to word it because I want to say I do feel like we have to have a bit of empathy and compassion for the golden child and I yes. do however to say we have to have it when they've often been complicit in our abuse as adults themselves is a really difficult sticking point for me because I'm very much a fan of nobody is owed forgiveness you don't have to forgive people to move on you can simply move on and that's fine yeah. But I do feel compassion and empathy for that golden child, especially when they are children, because they're holding so tightly to that role and it's part of conditioning. And it's mm. awful when you are that scapegoat child who bounces between scapegoat, invisible child, the one who is just dismissed. And then to see those patterns repeating with your own two children, because you have a similar dynamic to what you had when you were kids, brother and sister, you now have brother and sister, and you can see it clear mm. as day. And the mm. thing is, once you start to see it, it's impossible to not see it. 
And as a parent, you are now sat there with a choice of saying, do I enable this in the way that my own father did? Do I become, as your sister described, the doormat who says, oh, well, you know, I've survived it. I guess yeah. it'll be OK. Or do I take a step back and say, this is not going to fly for my children. This is not going to happen. I'm not going to allow this to happen to my children. And what you did in stepping back from the relationship with your sister in making that step, it's really interesting that your mum had written in her letter to you that it felt like you were, um, how did she work? You were not cutting ties, but a rejection, a rejection yes. of everyone. Yes, it felt like a rejection of all of us. Mm. Yeah, That's really yeah. interesting that she sees herself so deeply interwoven with your sister again very common with enmeshment with covert narcissistic mothers in particular to view that person that they have latched onto that is their source as a direct extension of themselves I know my mum certainly saw me as an extension of myself even down to the minute things like I never liked peas and she found it so baffling because she did and I was like but we are different people <laughs> I mean, let me, let me, I don't know how to describe that to you, but they do not view you as a total person separate. And if that's how she views your sister, for you to pull away from your sister, which I imagine in some ways felt easier to do than to cut ties with your parents. There's two of them, your parents, your fundamental caregiver. It's easier yeah. to look at the golden child and say, you are the root cause of all the problems when in reality there's been triangulation there where one parent has played off another and the root cause of the problem I speak to a lot of people who prior to becoming awake to their parents narcissistic behavior or toxic behavior they had a very big and very deep sibling rivalry and have actually been no contact with a sibling and I've talked about this both on the podcast with guests but also with clients who've had a really deep rift with a sibling and who have chosen to be no contact with that sibling only to realize sometimes 10 15 20 years later that actually yeah. the sibling themselves was getting the same messages about them and this is why they had the friction and they've ended up coming back together once they've both seen how toxic the parent is. But that takes work on both sides and willingness to actually step out of that bubble, which when you remain being the golden child is exceptionally difficult to do. But going back to facilitating, and I do want to pick up as well what you've said about therapists and sometimes pushing, because mm -hmm. I think that is a really key point that absolutely needs discussing. Therapists are wonderful I'm training to be a therapist yes. myself I'm really passionate about therapy I advise everybody who has been in this position to have or get themselves into some kind of therapy or coaching if you feel that that's a better fit for you I would always recommend therapy even above coaching and what I do or simultaneously you know alongside it I think it's really powerful but you can often find people who will say they will either try to nudge you or push you to be in contact with that toxic parent because they feel that's necessary. And that's really damaging when you have somebody who's perhaps not trauma informed, who perhaps hasn't worked with people. Mm. And if you are looking for a therapist, I always recommend looking through official channels, but asking them questions like, have you worked 
with people who've had childhood trauma. Have you any experience of toxic narcissistic family dynamics? These are the questions that are fundamental for people who have been in our position because there are so many different types of therapy out there and it's really difficult to find the right therapist. But going back to what you said about your parent trying to enable a relationship behind your back that's a huge crossing of your boundaries and still then forgetting almost totally forgetting that you've had this massive disruption within your relationship that you've been no contact for months this blow up of sulking not talking to you giving you the silent treatment then coming back as if nothing's happened that's incredibly common And something that so many of us can relate to, certainly something that I can relate to, having had the silent treatment when I was younger, is really difficult to navigate. Mm -hmm. But it is a massive crossing of your boundaries to want to facilitate a relationship that you as parents have said no to. And in any other dynamic, it would be widely accepted that that's just not on. If you had a friend who Mm. somebody said, look, I don't want that person talking to my kids. I don't feel that they are safe around my kids. And another friend went and took them to meet up. People would be like, that's terrible. That's absolutely dreadful. And yet when it's an aunt, an uncle, and it's a toxic parent who's trying to facilitate the relationship, it's a different response. And that really intrigues me that it's such a different response because what your parent is doing there is crossing your boundary and they are being deceptive. They are being manipulative because what do your children seek to gain from having a relationship with this auntie who you've already said you don't have a relationship with and you will continue not to, and they will continue not to. What is the purpose of that other than to feed her own ego? Yeah, absolutely. I think what what I'd like to talk about is I think the things that I think have helped me heal from from mm-hmm. this um, and what's what's coming up is yeah I, I went on a training course recently a systemic coaching training course mm-hmm. and and that looks at the system the wider system behind you and all of the things that have brought you to and that was obviously quite a hard thing for me to do mm-hmm. and it was just a number of weeks after the estrangement to to confront that and to be in this place where the value all of that stuff that's brought you to there um and i, I think the, the healing and one of the things on that was said on that was do you want to be right or do you want to be healed mm-hmm. and i really yeah. like that the the right like that really just it spoke straight to me do i want to be right about all of these things that they've done to me or do I want to let them go? Mm. Do I want to detach from this? Um, like this is not, and, and my therapist talks about maybe attaching and, and re-getting into contact. But for me, the healing thing is is the closure and the detachment from, from things. I, I mean, Buddhism has really helped me. The head injury um, allowed me to spend time meditating, spend time reading about Buddhism, listening to the work of Ram Das. I, I would implore anybody to have, have a listen to some of Ram Das's stuff. It's really, really good. He, and he talks about um, the Buddha's four truths of suffering, that there will always be suffering in the, in the world because uh, things will keep changing. But the cause of that suffering is our own clinging of the, the mind to our views, our models of the world. And 
I maybe have some models of the world that, yes, I, I should have parents that, that care for me. I should have parents that not only listen to my sister's point of view, but are prepared to listen to my point of view. Mm. And once I let go of those um, of those kind of models, it, it's it's really freeing for me to just to notice that whatever I'm getting angry or upset about, and I think like initially my emotions were shame and guilt as to yeah. why have I not been able to hold this relationship with my parents, but then that kind of transitioned towards anger, and I feel I'm I'm able to let that anger go. Ramdas talks about um, uh, giving up your anger don't work it through just give it up Mm. don't work it through don't give it the extra power it needs notice where you get frustrated where you get upset and I I I get angry frustrated all the time I got angry frustrated yesterday (laughs) Um, but you you kind of how can you get that in um, notice the model notice the clinging of, of what you're you're searching for in your mind what you're after and then let that go and allow yourself to be in the moment again so some of that really kind of yeah spiritual stuff has uh, that I've kind of discovered through the head injury has really really helped me just move towards detachment and have this kind of saying I'm not sure where it's from but total involvement total detachment so I'm involved in everything I'm involved in the world I, I really love my job and I'm involved in that but how can you be detached from the outcomes for, from things so I can be completely involved in in this podcast. But if you choose to say, well, Steve, this probably isn't what we're looking for. Yeah, I can I can be detached from from that outcome as well. And I can absolutely let that go. Some of that spiritual, that Buddhism stuff has, has yeah, really, really helped me just heal from this and, and let this go. And a, a, a calmness, mm. a calmness kind of just descends when you when you when you let your ego go and you you stop chasing things and when you stop clinging to things it can be really really um really really freeing so do you want to want to be right or do you want to be free yeah i'd rather be free i'd like you use the word forgive like I, i i have forgiven my parents have forgiven my sister not only have i done that because i think forgiving them makes them small and it says but also like and I blame them I blame them for for what they've done I absolutely do that but I also blame them for the person I am now so I can give them that power as well so I can know that I'm going no contact I can know that I'm not going to have that relationship and I can I can blame them for that but I can also blame them for the the good things in me I can blame them for the the, like the people pleasing skills that I have I'm a team coach and I, I, um, I really, really love working with high conflict teams. I can read the room really, really well. And that's because of that kind of people pleasing. So and, you've utilised the things. You've utilised the things that have been trauma responses and that have been um, responses that usually we would look at in a very negative light and yeah. worked them to your advantage, flipped them on their head and created something that actually empowers you out of it. And I think yeah. that's really, really powerful. I, and for everybody, everybody's going to find different things that work for them. Everybody's going to find mm-hmm. things that they maybe listen to and think, oh, that's not going to be for me. I'm not interested in that. For me, I'm finding real power in going running and um, 
exercising on a morning, which if you'd have asked me a few months ago, I'd have been like, <laughs> absolutely not, immediately no. But just taking that time for myself has been really powerful for me to know that I have this little space of time on my own. I can get those endorphins popping. And I found real I found real help in that and everybody's going to find different things that they find really helpful. But I do think it's interesting when you talk about reframing that hypervigilance, for example, being able to read the room in a much mm. more positive manner, because that's really powerful. And I talk a lot when I work with coaching clients about reframing the experiences. So you talk about blame when we look at the things that have happened in our lives, we have to almost dissect them and say, okay, I have to take a bit of self-responsibility for how I'm going to act now and what I'm going to do now. But that actually, that event, I'm not responsible for that. This no contact, I'm not responsible for that because that's their choices that they have put into place that have ended in us being no contact my responsibility is now in choosing to be no contact so that I can be safe. They've created the situation and I'm choosing to protect myself from that. So it's reframing things in the smallest way. And I love that reframing of your hypervigilance and your people pleasing to aid you in your job because we can use these things. They are skills. They might be trauma responses, but some of them are skills. When we need to start addressing it, especially with people pleasing and things is when it starts to negatively impact us and hold us back from setting boundaries and from being able to say, that's not gonna be for me, no. So I love that you've reframed those things. I think that's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not not making them small mm. not push, not pushing them away anything that you push away you will you giving power to it and so for me the like the healing thing was to allow it to allow it all to come to allow the anger to come to allow the shame the guilt to come and 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 just sit with it notice it let it go it's a gray cloud it's a gray cloud on the horizon and um, maybe the, the times the, the sky is filled with gray clouds but those clouds will pass the sun will come back through and you will you will go running again i will go to the allotment and um you you will find joy in many many things so yeah pushing things away is is not helpful giving them the power um and and allowing them and then working with them and sitting sitting in the fire with these with these emotions and work without working them through but without pushing them away as well letting your anger go yeah I, I i i like to think of anger as my guru i mean it's, it's a bit hippie but <laughs> I, I i was um i was i was i was driving back from uh, from work uh, quite a long drive yesterday and there was a car that was just right up my backside in the outside lane, you know, and it's just, oh God, why are you doing that? It's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. And I like to think of those sort of moments as this is my, this is my guru appearing now. This is my guru showing me where I've still got those clinging of the mind, those models, because I think that person shouldn't be doing that. They should be safer. They're doing what they're doing. They're just, they're just um, doing what they're doing. It's my choice as to how I react to mm. that, isn't it? Yeah. And so really empowering myself to pull over, let that person pass as quickly as I can, and then to just let that go. 
yeah that, that long ago it's just it's just the clinging of my mind and I'm just constantly moving towards detachment I'll never get there I'll never be fully detached mm. from everything but I'm just constantly trying to move towards detachment to the the models I have my own melodramas that are going on in my head how can you just let them go and allow yourself to just be in the moment and enjoy more of the time with your kids yeah I think that's that is really powerful and for anybody listening who's like I get a bit of road rage and I would slam my brakes on same babes um but there is real truth in what you are saying there about sitting with the feelings acknowledging the feelings and it takes work as well if you're listening to it thinking that is not I cannot absolutely cannot do that you can it's being mm-hmm. self-aware it's saying okay why am I feeling these things almost having a conversation with yourself in your head and saying is that serving me right now why am I feeling the way I'm feeling I understand why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling I do it with triggers if something triggers me and I sit with it and I think to myself why is that triggering me why is that making me so angry why is that upsetting me why what is bubbling up here for me and almost like you're looking at your emotions your feelings your experiences as a third party and dissecting them and saying Mm. what is going on for me here what am I thinking what is happening sitting with it and saying ah okay yeah no that's making me upset because I feel rejected when actually say it's something with my partner bubbles up so often in relationships that makes me feel upset and rejected because I remember that from my childhood this is how I would have been treated I'm not verbalizing that and he's not a mind reader how can I verbalize that to him so that he understands where I'm sitting and where I'm coming from instead of me just shutting down and again it's a process because I would say eight times out of ten I still just will switch off shut down and I coach people through this and explain Mm. to them how to do it but it's a process and it's about forgiving yourself when you don't hit the nail on the head you don't get it right the anger does take over reassessing it going back and then especially within relationships you can communicate to somebody this is how I was feeling this is what's going on for me this is the why this is what I need perhaps I need some reassurance perhaps I need some understanding from you and I can give myself those things as well but perhaps I need to discuss this with you or again Mm. like you say with the anger when you're driving pulling over and letting that person pass and then just forgetting about it because it's not really important is it but these tiny tiny things that happen to us every single day sitting with the emotion examining it looking at it as a third party and then saying "Ah, yeah I understand where that's coming from I understand why that's bubbled up for me I've now got choices how can I work with this what do I need right here to be able to move through this and to Mm. be able to say okay we're at the other side of that now or to be able to come to a solution and then doing those things that you perhaps need, or at least being aware of those things that you perhaps need if you don't feel able to do them at that time. That's really important as part of the healing mm. process. And I love that you say as well that you, you'll you never get there 100% because we no. don't. And there is this massive myth when it comes to healing, to working through our trauma, that we eventually get to a point where we can tick it off the list and be like, oh, healed, done a bit of therapy it doesn't happen and that's important to acknowledge 
yes, we can come to a place where perhaps for you, it might be forgiveness because that's what you feel is necessary for your healing. Perhaps for someone like me, I don't believe in forgiveness being an integral part of our healing journey. I think that that is subjective to the to each person. I don't think that if you choose not to forgive that person before you move away from them, you've somehow let yourself down or you have somehow still clung on to it. I think you can let it go without feeling that forgiveness. Um, it might be working on anger. It might be working on whatever it is. There's always going to be things that are going to trigger these responses in us because this is a fundamental part of who we are. And that's okay to acknowledge that. Mm. What was coming up for me there is Brene Brown, as in her Netflix documentary, says, the story I'm telling myself here, it's a fabulous little documentary. And um, so she has something that happens with her husband. And she says to him, uh, she's got all these big feelings. And she says, the story I'm telling myself here is, and then talks about that and talks about the assumptions, the models she's making and the models and the, the, the inner talk that's going on. And that is a really, really fabulous, fabulous thing. I also think, I don't think I would have got here if it were not for the head injury. Mm. I think the suffering that happened during that was grace for me. And I know that sounds really strange that suffering can be grace, but it really, really allowed me to examine those models, to understand who I really was um, behind all of that. I mean, I mean, and you talked about witnessing yourself, really, really useful point of view. A therapist would say you're disassociated. Mm. So you're not associated but that can be really really helpful for some people I mean I, I absolutely agree I think I should reiterate the point I think almost everybody should be in therapy it's really useful isn't it and I, I found um so I'm I, I, I would share that and encourage that but that witness point yeah the therapist would say you're disassociated if if you want to listen to some of Ram Dass's stuff and talk about identifying with the soul rather than the incarnation and allowing yourself the freedom of that second, that witness perspective and using that to help you detach and, and uh, uh, detach from the world and what's 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 going on there and, and relax more in, more into yourself to become free. Um, a therapist may not um, may not share that viewpoint. Yeah, I think it depends so much on the therapist, you know, because I think if you were looking at something like um if you're looking at certain types of therapy, then yes, they might consider that detachment. If you're looking at somebody who was trauma-led and you were looking at somebody who did perhaps IFS, internal family systems, which we talk about quite a lot, I think they would look more at that as uh, self-awareness as opposed to disassociation. And this is the thing with therapy being so subjective and working differently for different people. Because for me, I think internal family systems is a great way to do shadow work, is a great way to look at your inner child, I think that's really powerful. And with disassociation, you're not looking to move forward. You're not looking at the integral parts of yourself. You are stepping away from that in order to protect yourself. And for me, I do Mm -hmm. disassociate, especially if I feel like I'm in a a high pressure situation. I know that a lot of people who have neurodivergency disassociate. And what Mm -hmm. I now realize I used to do a lot as a child, especially, and you might feel this yourself, especially if you don't remember so much of your childhood which is incredibly common for people who've had traumatic childhoods is that disassociation and I know I can feel myself now starting to disassociate 
when I'm perhaps in an argument or something like that with my spouse or if something's really triggering me. I know when I'm disassociated because I can feel it. I can feel it starting. I know I am pulling away from my reality. But when we talk about being introspective and we talk about looking and being self-aware and examining those parts of us, that is much more about using things like internal family systems to be self-aware and to examine who we are, what our triggers are, and to sit with them. And I think the majority of good therapists who have been trauma-informed would be able to tell the difference between between the two and that's really important for people to be able to do mm, yeah yeah absolutely I think I'd like to sort of say my intention here is to share my story yeah. and yeah. to is to like I'm doing this anonymously because I don't want my family to do that to see this I don't want any sort of harm or, or any to cause any harm by this my intention here is to try and share my story to talk to to get people to talk about this a bit more and to share some of the things that have really helped me calm down and just relax in myself and I really appreciate what it is that you're doing and that you're sharing those stories um, so for, I just want to say thank you again for the work that you're doing and really for inviting me on spending that spending that time with me because I think this has been a really helpful thing for me to do just to talk about this and I am nervous I'm I'm shaking a little bit I'm an experienced public speaker but this this is making me really nervous and this is a me trying to put myself out there and trying to just further get get to those models of the world to, to give them less power to talk about this sort of stuff so I, I really thank you for for the opportunity to to do this and I'd encourage anybody listening just to just to talk about it don't yeah. don't bottle it up um it's 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 really really easy to bottle these big feelings up isn't it talk to whoever whoever you can seek seek support seek support in your friends seek support in therapy these things all uh, really really help you they do they are really helpful and again it goes back to that community healing and whether you're doing that by listening to the podcast which I'm always incredibly grateful for whether you want to come on and have a chat with me about your own experience again as Steve says he's doing this anonymously so there is that option there for people if that's something that you would choose you can do it by just voice recording but sharing those lived experiences and letting people know that we are not alone in this that this is something that is so under discussed so taboo but really important to share because that's how we break down stigma and there is so much stigma around it which leads to shame which leads to internalizing which stops us from stepping into our true potential and stops us from being able to heal from those experiences that's what's really powerful there and I'm incredibly passionate about that so thank you so much for coming on Steve and for giving me your time I'm really grateful to you for spending some time I think we discussed before that there is quite um there are some areas of no contact and estrangement that feel quite underrepresented and hearing male voices talking about it as well is something that is very underrepresented and I'm very passionate about trying to represent as many people as possible so if you are listening to this and you're perhaps wanting to discuss from a cultural point of view perhaps you're a person of color who's wanting to discuss from their experiences in a cultural term or perhaps you're part of the lgbtq plus community and you'd like to discuss it from that point of view please do get in touch with 
with me because that's something I really think is important that we realize that this is not something that is exclusive to one culture. This is not something that is exclusive to any gender. This is something that is so vast that affects so many of us and in different ways with different stigmas throughout different cultures, throughout different um, societal views. That's really important to look at how estrangement and no contact and toxic family dynamics are viewed differently. So, yeah, please do get in touch. And Steve, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Harriet. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And I will speak to you again next week. Hope you have a great week. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.